welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am still your moderator, and with me this week is a Sposa de la Pastora, Dan Mars. Hello. Hello. Worship director, Scott Reed. Yeah. And three Stooges enthusiast, Bill Curly Calvin. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, would you pray for us, please? Sure. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for today. We thank you that we're alive and we get to enjoy this day. This is a day that you have made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it and all that you're doing. So we ask, Lord, that you be with our time together today. May your Holy Spirit really bring be among us, bringing up things that you want to bring up, hmm. topics, things maybe we haven't even considered yet, but in the course of our conversation, maybe a blessing to those who listen and to each other, and of course, glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Scott. All right. Bring it in. <clears throat> it's been so long, I think. I don't know how long it's, it's actually been. It's been a week. It's been a week. Well, last week we did something different. Sorry. It's been so long since we had all of us here. It's been two weeks. To do. It's been so long. Okay. It's been so long. To do all three, the random mix and match ranking. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to pull these cards and, and you know, the ethics questions are always kind of dubious as to whether or not we can really use them on uh, on the show. And, That's right. And here I've got this ethics we question. We don't this, talk about ethics on this we show. Don't, we don't, well... It's not it's not fitting for a pastor to answer whether or not he would rather, you know, rob a bank or shoot a man, you know. <laughs> I personally would love Bill Calvin's perspective on that. Um, he's got one. He's got but, one. But so you know there's four one. categories of questions on every card and it's pain, fear, discomfort, appearance, embarrassment, ethics, intellect, and random. Right. And so here I've got this question that's categorized as an ethics intellect question and I neither understand why it's categorized in that way, nor do I understand really the question itself. (laughs) It Mm. is, this is not for anyone really to answer, but just to ponder existentially. Treasure in your heart. Would you rather (laughs) jump from 100 feet into water or dive from 30 feet into water? Hmm. I think you're going to be dead from 100 feet into water. I don't know. I think so. I mean, you got cliff jumpers who survive that. That's true. So I, I assume that yeah, the water's troubled. Right. You're, yeah, if it's flat, safe. that's when it's... If it, if there's that's nothing breaking tension. the surface tension, then you're dead. Yeah. 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 I assume they mean dive, like, f- head first. Like, you got your arms folded yeah, in front I, of you. Yeah, that's a dive. From 30 feet. From 30 feet. Yeah, Olympic dive. Olympic dive. 10-meter yeah. board, baby. I'd so, do that. <clears throat> they survive. Well, they survive, but I'd be scared to death to dive from that height. Well, yeah. Because I'll, I'll end up with a belly slammer. You know? <laughs> oh, sure. I'm not, not going to dive. So anyway, that's not the question, but oh. I just thought that. Sorry, I, I'll cut out our discussion. I said that that wasn't the question My going bad. in. Don't ask surprised. <laughs> you said treasured in your heart. <laughs> We're treasuring. I'm treasuring uh, But yeah, heart. just I don't know why that qualifies as ethics and intellect. Maybe because it takes intellect to know that a jump from 100 feet will kill you. Or maybe, yeah. or maybe it takes ethics to know that a dive from 30 feet is very unethical. But even, very at the, unethical. even at the local pool, they have this little thing that breaks the surface tension for the diving board. Oh, really? Oh, and cool. if that wasn't there, it would really hurt. So imagine that from 100 feet. Oh, wow. I didn't know I didn't that. know that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to do this. We are going to, I think I have three like pretty innocuous ethics questions. Sweet. Uh, none of them are going to, you know, cost you your job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Except for you, Max. I think and, personally, uh, you should rob a bank rather than shoot someone because well, you can give the money back. Yeah, you can't. You can give the. Never mind. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how you lose your jobs. <laughs> so anyway, so what we're gonna do is, 
I'm going to ask you three would you rather things from three different questions. Okay. And then you're going to rank them which you would most like to do, least like to do, and middle like to do. Great. Uh, and I'm going to try and, well, actually. All right. Everyone give me a number between uh, one and ten. Seven. One. Six. All right. Okay. So you are odd. You two are odd and you are even. All right. So that means that, Max, you're going to get the second option of each question. Love it. And Bill and Dane are going to get the first options of, of each of your respective questions. Okay. Um, none of these will be from the same questions. There's no no cross pollination here. All right. Terrific. So we're going to start with Dan like in the pain, like. fear, discomfort no category. My favorite category. You said seven, <laughs> so you get the first ones. Um, Dan. Okay. Would you rather have your parachute not open all the way so you come down twice as fast as normal, only to land in a twenty foot high pile of straw, Ooh. or spend Two weeks with your head stuck, stuck in a metal bucket. <laughs> <laughs> or run 20 miles in 68-degree weather. <laughs> so again, first option is your parachute does not open all the way, so you come down twice as fast as normal, but you land in a 20-foot high pile of straw. The second option is you spend two weeks with your head stuck in a bucket, and the third option is that you run 20 miles, 20 miles in 68-degree weather. 20 miles. Bill, is that good temperature to run in? It's not the best, but it's all right. It's a little high, right? Little high. Anything over 65 factors into dehydration and you slow down. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, Dan. I'm mulling over the first and the third options. I don't see myself really wanting to do skydiving, but it's maybe I, maybe I just come into the scenario already almost about to hit the ground and I... I don't have to actually do this guy. Maybe you part. wake up in midair. Maybe I, maybe I make up, wake up close to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you wake up in the pile of straw. <laughs> That's good. We'll do that one. <laughs> we'll do that one. Not the metal bucket for sure. That sounds super uncomfortable. I would still. You got to rank them. Yeah, you have to. You one know, to oh, three. I have to rank them. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the first one would be uh, the parachute, then running the 20 miles in 68 degree weather, and then the last one would be um, the bucket on the head. Would it change it at all if they had like eye holes and like a mouth hole? Yeah, if I could eat. <laughs> True. If you gotta be able to drink, otherwise yeah. it's gonna be a short two weeks. It will be very short. Um, beep, 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 beep. We have a news break <laughs> from <laughs> Bill Calvin, who has just informed me that the upper survival limits of human tolerance to impact velocity with water are close to 100 feet per second. Corrected for velocity, that is the equivalent of a 186 foot free fall. You can make it. You so can make survive. it. You might break your tailbone. You might, well, might well, break you a lot right of stuff. But yeah. yeah. But you yeah. can survive. Yeah. Um, all right. This Thank has been did. a Bill Calvin news break. <laughs> all right, important. Max. So you said six. <laughs> so you're going to get the second option for Bring each it of in. your questions. And your category is appearance and embarrassment. That's me. Max, right. appearance and embarrassment term. Naturally. <laughs> Would you rather, as a woman, have really long, <laughs> classic, <laughs> curly, exposed nose hairs? Oh, okay. No hair removal. Well, right. Or be on a crowded street laughing at a little girl who just tripped over her own shoelace just before you walk headfirst into a sign. He's <laughs> <laughs> already done that. <laughs> shave your eyebrows off permanently. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So. Wow. So option one is you're a, you're a woman and you have really long, you know what? 
I'm going to say you're not a woman because that adds a whole other wrinkle. No, I'm in for women. Mm-hmm. So well, Integrity of the game says I'm a woman now. I guess you have to decide then. Yeah. Because it's not like, it's just like if you choose this, it's just the, it's just it's the, just, the appearance embarrassment that's correct. that you would experience as a woman, that's but you're correct. not deciding whether or not you would be a woman. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, absolutely. Good. I understand. Good. Uh, cool. I think, I think I'm going to start. Oh man, I'm gonna start from the bottom. So least likely uh, is is publicly laughing at a little girl who trips and then slamming into a sign, <laughs> which is interesting. I think it's a divergence from our normal uh, scheme because every, typically on the show we say things that only happen once always beat out permanent things, and the other two things are permanent. But I'm just gonna go ahead and say that I just don't think it would take a long time to live that down. What if you just the laugh came out? What if you couldn't help it? Like and then you've I don't think that's it. I think I'm loudly laughing. Uh, I'm pointing and laughing and saying, ah, you stupid girl. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, from there, I'm going to go with uh, being a a lady with the nose hairs. And then finally, I'm going to shave my eyebrows off. So so shaving my eyebrows off is most preferred. Okay. Um, Hmm. Permanently. I'll do it. I'll do it live on the show. That wouldn't be very fun. Oh, let's go right, good, radio. good radio. Just the sound <laughs> of a buzzer for 15 minutes. <laughs> All right, I wouldn't Bill. take 15 minutes to shave your eyebrows. We'll get them off quicker. <laughs> These things are thick. Come on, Bill. Let's go get the razor. <laughs> <laughs> and the bunny suit. Um, just for fun. Uh, all right, Bill. Your category is ethics and intellect, and you chose an odd number, so you get the first the first uh, option for each of these questions. Would you rather receive a $200 parking ticket that you feel you can sex- successfully contest in court mm. or find out that one of your two children is a genius, but the other is slow <laughs> or live the rest of your life in good health and bad debt? <laughs> I'm taking the first one. I'll, I'll even pay the 200. I don't care if I can beat it or not. All right. Which one is the worst one for you? Oh, the part about the children. Hmm. All right. It's an yeah. interesting stage of your life to find this out, I think. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> I, 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 I was thinking right more like early childhood finding that out. I think that's the implication, but, you know, you're I, you. And... I think this is the right stage to find out. I was yeah. like, well, there's nothing I could have done to raise them differently anyway. So True, you didn't know. That's right. All right, Max, should I do the first or the second option? Uh, you got to do the second. The second. You already did the first. That's fair enough. All right. What's your category? My category is just random. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, this is... Okay. The second option of the first question just says, or down one. So I think we need to go back for some more context. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Would I rather have to run full speed for half a mile down a steep hill or walk around all day, two days per month with grape jelly in my shoes hmm. or inherit the key to and the contents of one random safety deposit box at a Swiss bank? Wow. Well, that's obviously number one. <laughs> never know um, what you're going to get there. It's a nightmare. I think. It could be framed for murder. Sure. <laughs> I think I'll run down the hill. That seems dangerous, but also kind of fun. That's my middle one. Sure. And then, then the grape jelly, because that sounds, yeah, it says two days per month. So that sounds like that's a. Yeah, that's worth like it. Yeah. Yeah. For the rest of my life. I think you can manage that. Yeah. So inherit the Swiss bank contents and yeah. then run down a hill and then grape jelly in my shoes yeah hmm. wow makes sense nice that wasn't a bad one that was not a bad one dan yes, give me max. a number between one and a thousand and one well it's not gonna be this i don't know what we chose last week we're getting in the territory of we thought we had already done last i know week, but, but we, we did, hadn't but we hadn't 
Let's go with 812. 812, I guarantee you this is new. It better be. I don't think we've done any in the 800s. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm thinking. Uh, this, of course, comes from uh, 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by who, Dan? J.B. Lang. <laughs> I don't know. J. Stephen, J. B. Stephen Lang. J.B. Stephen Lang. It's I don't know. very funny you mentioned that because number 812 from Music and Art is oh. J.S.B. Johann Sebastian oh. Bach, 1685 to 1750. Uh, some music lovers believe Bach was the greatest composer ever. Is it true, Bill? Some. He was certainly <laughs> one of the most productive, and one wonders how a man who fathered 20 children and held <laughs> positions teaching and playing the church organ ever found time to compose. How did he find time between changing children? all the diapers? Right? Man. Bill, did you ever oh. want 20 children? No. What if one of them was a genius? Just 20 in a youth group, but not 20 in my house. Oh. <laughs> Bach, a German, was an extremely devout Lutheran, and mm. he believed all talent came from God. He inscribed his compositions, mm. not just the religious ones, but the secular ones as well, with phrases such as, quote, in praise of the Almighty's will, end quote, end quote, to God alone be the glory, end quote. Bach called the Bible the greatest fountain of music, and every musician should play to the glory of of its author. Uh, many of Bach's great choral works are drawn from the Bible. He composed several passions telling the events of Jesus's crucifixion. His St. Matthew Passion and his St. John Passion are probably two of the greatest choral works ever written. Bach took the text from Martin Luther's German translation of the Bible. Bach also wrote a cantata based on the Magnificant, Mary's Song of mm. Praise in Luke 1, 46 mm. to 55. Um, really quick, but I have a couple of questions about this, but the first one is where does this word passion come from? The, the word, when we come talk about like the passion, uh, of the Christ, for example, the film, but also mm -hmm. I think that's a phrase often in high church. Um, it's like suffering mm -hmm. is that to suffering extremely in a bad way. Yeah. I think it is used to describe like the last hours, like that narrative. Yeah. Do we know why or what that? you know, where it comes from? Probably Latin. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, J. Stephen Lang, J.S. Lang, uh, talks a lot about Bach as being a, a devout Lutheran. And, and we've talked on the show before about how at a certain point in history, a lot of music, a lot of art, a lot of things like that were sort of in service to the church or in service to God. And obviously mm -hmm. he sounds like he, he wasn't connected to the Catholic church. He was connected to the, the Lutheran church. Do we, from a non-historical perspective, because there are historical reasons why that changed. Um, but in your own minds, when it comes to music and art now, uh, mm. you know, and Scott, I'd like to hear you weigh in on this. You know, is there a, a particular reason why, a lot of really popular artists, at least in American culture, whether they be visual art or uh, film or um, or music, uh, tend to at least be flavored in more of a secular direction. Um, is is that, am I off base on that? And if not, you know, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's mostly historical, and and. Just looking at 
the trends of our society. Mm-hmm. Um, art, there's, you know, there's two categories of art and broadly there's art that is um, sort of patronized mm-hmm. by an outside source. Uh, and there is art that is just done, you know, for its own sake, whatever that might be. You know, an artist doesn't paint a picture necessarily because he's, he or she's been commissioned to do so. Uh, they might just paint it because they want to. Um, but sometimes they do do it for for money. Um, and even if it's not necessarily like they were commissioned to do it, they might sell it, right? Yeah. Um, so there's like kind of commercial art, not in any kind of derogatory sense, but like commercial art, art that is is monetized in some way and then there's the art that isn't um and i think a lot of what was happening in the past uh i mean it it was monetized um you know these guys bach is an interesting case because i think bach is one of perhaps few um but maybe there's more um but genuine i believe genuine believers Hmm. who was making his music, yes, for the church, but for the glory of God. And I think there were a lot of other people who put them in a different context and they would have been making church for the glory of, or sorry, making music for the glory of whatever, as long as the paychecks came in. Um, But that was the culture that they were in. So today, I mean, I think if you look at, if you look at big uh, wealthy churches, you'll see probably some really high quality output because they can afford to pay artistically uh, artistically uh, because they can afford like I think of Willow like they've got a number I don't know how many but a number of, of professional musicians on their on their payroll and and mm. they do some really cool stuff because of that that you're just not really going to be able to do realistically mm. uh, at a church with fewer resources mm. um, so you'll still see some um, but it's it's much more I think isolated than in in you know centuries past in Europe where the church was the power uh, in, in many, many ways. Uh, and so outside of those contexts, you know, you have people who are making, um, and the nature of accessibility to art and, and media has, has drastically changed too, uh, which certainly has had a, an impact. But, you know, people making uh, media, whatever, whether it be film or music, to be consumed uh, by a lot of people... Um, the the audience has changed and mm. and they you know i think of movies i was just watching an interview with matt damon talking about how um in the last 20 or so years in hollywood just the kind of movie that can um that can be made and even in the last um 10 or so the kind of movie that can be made has changed dramatically because of uh streaming services mm. and a decline mm. in dvd sales and so now they need to make Basically, they need to make all their money in the box office, um, which just really impacts the kinds of movies that can be made. And so what kinds of movies are being made? The kind of movies that are going to succeed in the box office. What kind of movies are going to succeed in the box office? We all know the answer to that. We see it um, uh, every year. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of like a big part of it, is that there, there isn't this, this financial institution that exists to back sacred um, art. Uh, the way that people consume art has changed dramatically. And so uh, the people that are backing financially the creation of art are doing so um, from a need to kind of recoup that hmm. cost where the church had a financially had a kind of a different sort of need. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons. Um, Absolutely. 
I like to shoot something out there. I know this is just an opinion. Yeah. But about art, I'm the son of an artist and painter and art historian and art restorer. And so I grew up around paintings my whole life. And about a year and a half ago, went before COVID, went to the Chicago Art Museum and just appreciating Rembrandt and just all the wonderful pieces of like older paintings they have. And there is a real a marked difference between those paintings and modern art. Yeah. And as I started to think, like, why is that? And I don't, maybe, and I, I personally think a lot of modern art is crap. Okay. That's just where I'm coming from. I just don't think it's mm-hmm. very skillful. <laughs> and some, some of it is, some of it, when you splash paint on a canvas, for me personally, that's just not, mm-hmm. it's not doing it for me. Okay. I appreciate when it actually takes skill to, more skill to do something as a <laughs> technique. Okay. That's just my own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But I think it had a lot to do with the difference. Like society has really rejected the idea of a universal truth in, in God, the Christ. Mm. And it just, you see a lot of disorder in art. And I wonder how much of that is connected with the, just that shift in culture mm. away from the centrality of who Christ is. Yeah. And just the beauty of art, I feel like has gone way downhill where I didn't, I didn't want to go into the modern art section at the museum. Like this seems like a waste of time to me. Mm. I'm sure some people would say, oh, I really like it. And that's fine. Sure. I went to the Louvre a few years ago. It was the, now the Louvre is probably a building that's a half a mile long, three floors, maybe four. So you don't even begin to scratch the surface when you Mm -hmm. visit it. So we went two times. Did you see the Mona Lisa? Yes. So Mona Lisa is in a room that's a little bit bigger than this Common Grounds room. It's on the we'll say this west wall and it's attracted a crowd of a hundred maybe even as many as 200 people around it to see it but in that same room are paintings that i feel are way better than a mona lisa Hmm. one of them is a scene of jesus turning the water into wine in cana of galilee and the colors are so vivid. And it's a very large painting. It's probably 10 to 14 feet high and 20 to 25 feet wide. And it has dozens of characters. And they're all in great detail. I mean, you're seeing the wrinkle in somebody's clothes, the twinkle in somebody's eyes. Very vivid colors. Oh, man. So I kept looking at that and just thinking, Mona Lisa just is so drab in comparison. Mm -hmm. It's just basically a black and white. Um, It's small. Maybe maybe two feet wide and three feet high. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's amazing what becomes considered absolutely priceless mm. but but the louvre was filled with these pictures that i just described that that were centered around jesus christ god the father god in heaven mm. angels there were just there were so many of them and they were fabulous not mm. all of them but to my way of thinking man they were fabulous just mm. fabulous yeah i think um dan's the point that Dan raises is a really interesting one too, because at least in Western music, um, 
we, for a long, long time, <clears throat> probably since like the 14, 1500s, um, have had a pretty consistent sense of, as a culture, a pretty consistent sense of like musicality. Um, and so we kind of, we all, as in Western culture, we all kind of agree on like what sounds like good. There are certain steps that you take that sound good. And so through the Baroque period, the classical period, and into the Romantic period, and yeah, into the post-Romantic period too, um, that is really, it's being explored and stretched and expanded, but pretty much adhered to. Then you get to the kind of modern you know, 20th century and, and postmodern stuff. And and they start, as in, in visual art, really kind of going off the rails um, for not, you know, entirely crazy reason. Like, they just kind of felt like this is all, like, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. It's all been done mm. if we just keep doing the same thing. So we're going to do something new. Mm. And so then art kind of transitions, music, visual art, um, it transitioned from something that really, yeah, I mean, Bach, like, I mean, I've got a degree in music and like, whoa, man, I can't, I can't even begin. Even when I was studying it and I knew things, which I have forgotten, like I, I couldn't fully understand what he's mm -hmm. doing. Um, like it's way beyond us and yet it's intuitive. Like we get it and we like it. Um, but now it's kind of like branched off from the common person. This is, this is like the world of like quote unquote classical music, not mm -hmm. classical in terms of the time period, but kind of in terms of the styling. And so now you've got kind of these, this wide breach where you kind of have two types of musician. There are certainly people in the middle too, but you've got, I'll say two types of, of the Christian musician. You've got the people who are in the same world as the as Bach, I mean, they're not as, as good. I don't think we've had almost anybody as good as Bach, but you know, they're not in the same league as Bach, but they're in the same world as Bach. And the music that they're producing for the glory of God, oh, you just don't want to listen to it. Hmm. It's, I mean, technically from the stylings of what they're, you know, the chord structures and, you know, the atonality or the rhythmic stuff like is, oh, genius, whatever. I don't care. No one wants to listen to it. And on the other side, you have the people that don't have that genius, that training, that whatever, producing music that they're, I mean, they're much more limited. And so the music they're making is much more basic, um, but it's more... Um, accessible. Okay. Um, and so then you've got this kind of like weird tension of like all these Christian, like highbrow musicians producing stuff that no one wants to listen to except for other highbrow musicians. And then you've got these Christian musicians producing stuff that always sounds the same because it kind of always is the same because we've lost that kind of connection between what's actually going to resonate with people and what hmm. like can expand and, and, and push the boundary. So there, yeah. Interesting. There's a lot. While we were doing this discussion, I remembered from listening to the classical station that Bach had lots of relatives that were big-time musicians. Mm -hmm. So I just Googled it and found out there were 20 eminent musicians from this one family. Whoa. Whoa. So this is before genetics got really sophisticated, but people would then say, well, it looks like genius can be passed on from one mm. generation to the next. And they said it was passed on seven generations in the Bach family. Wow. Isn't that wild? That wow. Yeah. Trying to decide if I want to pursue a, a topic of conversation. <clears throat> I guess we'll, we'll um, you know, we'll pass on it. We'll, we'll, 
Well, there'll be another chance to talk a, a little bit more about uh, Barry White, friend of the show, Barry oh, White. I always want, to bring, always want to bring up Barry White. Um, maybe we will talk about Barry White. I don't know. I, I continue to, to really personally struggle with this idea um, of music that uh, – of trying to understand where to me and to God, right, the inventor of music, the one for whom all music is meant to, to ultimately glorify – what is the value to God of music that is indifferent to him, at least indifferent mm-hmm. to him in, in the sense that the person who wrote it was not consciously trying uh, to, to glorify him, right? What is the value to us as believers? What is the value to God of, of that music? And of course, Barry White is always the guy I go to because he's a friend of the show. Hi, Barry. Um, <laughs> oh, long time listener. First long, time Barry. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and so, uh, what I mean by that is, you know, I enjoy his music. I know Bill obviously is one of his biggest fans on earth. Scott, I don't know where you come from when in the Barry White I'm from Massachusetts. Uh, but <laughs> I don't even know who Barry White is. So. Well, um, but Scott, you raised your hand when I asked that, that original <laughs> question of, you know, what is the value to God of music that is ig- indifferent to him or ignorant of him. Right. Um, from an intention perspective of the creator. Yeah, I had a thought. And and first off, I mean, there are, there's music for sure that glorifies sin. And I think that mm-hmm. that's just, you know, as in anything that glorifies sin, like that's wrong. And I'm sure God is very displeased with that. Um, but then I thought about, you know, music that's just indifferent to him. That's just not about him. That's And it made me think, well, what is that music about? What is, what is it? Where is it coming from? And, yeah. and I think the answer is it's coming from usually some kind of self-expression. And like, I think if someone were to write down the sentence, I am so sad, mm-hmm. would God care about that person in that sentence that they just wrote down? And what is a song that expresses grief unrelated to God, if not just that same sentiment, but in, mm. in a more artistic form. Mm-hmm. So I think what, if it's not glorifying sin, I think that there probably is music that God really cares about because it's, he cares about us and, mm-hmm. and we don't care about him as we should. And people that don't know him don't care about him at all, yeah. but he still loves them. Uh, and so the expression of what they're experiencing, I think it, it does have value, mm-hmm. um, to God on some level because he cares about what they're experiencing and, and he gave them that gift mm whether it's music or, or art or, or, or just, you know, being able to eloquence or, yeah. or whatever to, to express that, um, in the world. Yeah. So I think he does, I think there is value to it. And there, I think there's also certainly kind of moving away from God and moving towards us. I think there's also certainly value. And, you know, there are songs that, that, uh, keeping the focus on music, there are songs that, you know, that highlight, social issues. One thing we talked a lot about in some of my theater classes was this idea that like art artists raise a mirror to society. And that's like one of their vital roles that they play is they show society like what it actually is. Hmm. Uh, I think there are songs that, you know, that make us aware of things that make us aware of the hurt. I mean, think about all of the, all of the, um, I mean, this is interesting because a lot of these are actually, they are gospel oriented songs, but think of the songs of, of the black slaves and, and mm. their self-expression of what they were experiencing, mm. uh, which also was often connected to the Christian hope and faith. But even if it wasn't like think of, you know, what we can learn from listening to those songs and, and the things that they were going through or, or, you know, more 
contemporaries, you know, from the social, or not social, but civil rights movement, yeah. the music that was being put out there. Um, yeah, I think music has a lot to to tell us about the person that wrote it. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Uh before we get into the topic of the week, well, let's get into the topic of the week. The topic of the week this week is brought to you by Life Coaching Group. Mm. Uh, what is the gap between where you are now and where you want to be? The Life Coaching Group is a guided discovery and coaching experience designed to help you understand the resources God placed in you that set you apart. You are invited to a coaching group in which we will partner together in a thought-provoking creative process to increase awareness and design action toward your God-designed potential using the Identity Profile Self-Awareness Tool, or IPSAT. The Life Coaching Group. For more information and to register, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash lifecoaching. Before we get into the topic of the week, uh, something very interesting happened to me that I'd like your perspective on. Um Monday night, uh, I finally got around to watching the first episode of The Chosen. Mm. Uh, I've been wanting to watch this for like a year, but I finally did it, uh, and it was really, really good. I'm really excited to watch the rest of the show. Um, but something uh, interesting happened, and it's something that uh, I'm very familiar with. I'm interested if you guys are familiar w- with it as well. Um, so uh, the episode one of The Chosen uh, has this um, very pivotal, I guess you'd say, uh, very pivotal verse from Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43.1, um, which I should have written down to read to you, uh, but I don't, but it's it's uh, God saying, you know, oh, child of Israel, I have created you, I redeem you, I call you by name. <clears throat> and so uh, that verse plays a very central role, uh, gets repeated a lot um, during the episode uh, and is really important to one of the major characters of the episode. Um and uh, so, great, love it, um, go to bed, wake up the next morning, uh, go to do my devotion, and for the first time all year, uh, I've been doing this devotion since the beginning of 2021, that verse mm. is the devotion for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, the way I interpret that is I typically write in my Bible, hi, God, uh, and interpret that as uh, if I... I'll be honest. I'll be completely honest about the way that I interpret that um, because I want your opinion on on how that is or I guess what that means. Um, but I see that as like God kind of showing up and being like, hey, like I'm here with you and like this is mm-hmm. uh, where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I take it as affirmation from him uh, of his presence, of his goodness and of um, those things that, you know, cause this happens to me fairly regularly. Um, sometimes Renee and I'll be having a conversation, we'll reference uh, a passage and then the next day or a day later, that passage will show up in our devotion or will show up in a sermon or will show up somewhere else. Mm. Um, and so I feel like those things have happened to me a lot over the course of my life. And I'm wondering a, if that's something that you guys recognize in your own lives and B, if that is superstitious, if that is, uh, you know, overly reading into coincidences, um, or if it really is something that we can look at and say like, look, like here is God showing up and speaking to me in, in small ways. So how do you guys, it does that happen in your life? And if so, like, how do you, uh, sort of interpret those things happening to you? It happened to me today. What happened? There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Then I was reading a Christian book 
And in Jeremiah, there's a verse with the very same words. Mm -hmm. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Pretty interesting. Happened in the same morning, two Mm -hmm. different scripture references, two different books, although it is all the Bible. But when that happens, I need to pay attention. Mm. It could be just a fluke, but the chances are so, so high of it not being a fluke because there's 43,000 verses in the Bible. So to land on a verse that's repeated at least twice, but I think in that case a few times, Mm -hmm. in the same morning, when I'm not reading say, a hundred chapters of the Bible. It's, it's nothing like that. It was just a short time of reading. Man, you got to pay attention to that. Hmm. So I don't have an answer as to what God is saying to me today. Sure. But, but that verse, that's something i got to think about today. When you say, like, you got to pay attention to that, what do you mean? Well, God is trying to speak to us through his word. We want to be with him. Hmm. And... When you get two different messages, or two two messages, same verse in terms of words, but different locations, Nicky Gumbel tells a great story of he was distraught when his father died because he wondered, did my father go to heaven? He was not a demonstrative Christian. He was very much to himself, and he was Jewish. So he came across a verse in Romans, I believe. I think it was something like, they are mine who call upon my name. So he said, all right. Then his wife Pippa said, hey, here's a verse that just jumped out at me today. It's found in Acts. They are mine who call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, that's strange. It's only found at two times in a whole, mm, yeah, whole New Testament. Yeah. Then he gets on the tube in London. As he's going down the steps, he looks up, and there is this poster that says, "They are mine who call upon the name of the Lord." Mm. Think, wow. Then there was a fourth time. Okay. So he speaks to his pastor, and he says, "This just keeps coming up." And the pastor says to him, do you think the Lord might be trying to say something to you? <laughs> he was trying to give Nikki assurance that your father did call upon the name of the Lord. Mm. Don't fret about his salvation. Mm. Uh, pretty interesting. But four times in a real short period of time, yeah. uh, the poster in the subway is the most amazing of all because <laughs> London, England is not right. very Christian. Right, a very mm-hmm. secular city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, does this kind of thing happen to you? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if like two verses coming up at the exact same time um, has ever happened in that in that way. But there's certainly been plenty of times where the same idea or um or or the same Bible passage. Uh, I guess that it, in a, it was sort of a different way. It was, uh, I was reading through, um, this was when I was contemplating 
leaving Chick-fil-A and, and ended up coming here. Yeah. But I was reading through um, Mark and I was going through a lot in my life at that time. That was summer of 2017. I think I've talked about that a couple times in the podcast. And and uh, I got to this story, I think it's, I think it's in Mark 4, of Jesus calming the, the storm. Um, and I just loved the interaction between the disciples and Jesus, the way it was phrased in Mark, and I think it was the ESV translation. Um, and uh, they say, like, you know, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he said, have you still no faith? Um, and uh, I just really, that stuck with me after I had read it. And and uh, and then one day, like, I don't know, I can't remember what the time frame here was, but after a little while, I was you know, praying a lot about what I should do with my life. And, and then I opened up my Spurgeon morning and evening devotional for that day. And I think that was the day that I prayed that God would... Maybe it was. I can't keep them all straight now. There were such a bunch of interesting days that, <laughs> back then. But um, I opened up my devotional and and it was on the Mark passage of Jesus calming the storm. And I was like, okay, I get it, because um, I, I felt like the disciples and and Jesus was responding to me in the same way. Um, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I think that's what he said. Um, so anyway, so that was definitely one that happened. And then I remember a couple months ago, uh, this was a little bit different, but I think it was the same kind of thing that I was just in a lot of different environments, really hearing the same message from conversations I was in and a book I was reading, um, about, um, not doing things for God, but rather just being with him. And, um, so that definitely, you know, I was very aware after a certain point in that season that like, okay, there's, there's something that he's trying to tell me here. Cause this, all this stuff just kind of keeps coming up and it mm-hmm. keeps Daniel mentioned in staff meeting and I'm reading this thing. And, um, so yeah, I definitely think, um, again, maybe not always in like, Oh, there's a verse. Oh, there it is again. Um, but just in terms of like kind of themes that I feel like, you know, come through in like a sermon I'm listening to or a book I'm reading or, or a conversation that I have. And it's like, okay, this has come up like more than once in the last week or yeah. few days. I, mean, I feel like there's something here that I really need to be hmm. paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Dan? Yeah. I don't feel like it's superstitious at all. Hmm. Maybe a little stitious. stitious. <laughs> it's regular stitious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, same experience as Bill and Scott that's happened to me before on various occasions of either conversations with people I've had and then yeah. seeing the verse that's been referenced as I read or just through different means. Hmm. Uh, it's been kind of neat to see either things confirmed that God is saying or God leading me in a certain direction. It's, it is helpful. And one of those things I try to think of Samuel and like, Mm. being called by the Lord a couple of times and like, yeah, I thought it was Eli, but it wasn't I'm like, okay, what is, what is, what are you trying to say? And then try to ask God, like, what do you, what do you want me to learn from this? Or mm. yeah. how do you want me to grow from this? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's definitely not like, it's definitely not crazy to think, I think it's God <laughs> reminding us that he's there, that he cares about us and that he wants us to, to be led by him into whatever he's got through whatever he's sharing. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little different. But I mean, this this happened today, like a few hours ago before I came over to the church. Um, Leah was going to get together with one of the young women in our Bible study uh, today, and um, and then she texted uh, this other person about a photography thing, and she was like, "Oh, um, 
actually also a young woman uh, who's been involved in the Bible study. And she was like, oh, I actually, like, I have time off and I'd love to talk today or something. And and I was like, and Leah was like, I, that's, and she read that to me and I was like, I feel like you should do that. And she mm-hmm. was like, yeah, but I got this other meeting with, and then she was like, oh, wait, she just texted me. She can't do it today. <laughs> like, well, there you go. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, it, it happens in all sorts of ways, but yeah. it is real. And that's something that, you know, the the book, friend of the show, book God Smuggler, uh, was... <laughs> Uh, talks a lot about is listening, uh, divining. The God's book is word. a friend of the show. The book is a friend of mine, Dan. So he's a just, friend of the show. I just found that book in my house recently. Brother Proud Andrew, he's our friend. Brother yeah. Andrew, friend of the show. Brother Andrew, whose name is last friend. name I forgot. Smuggler of the show. Um, he, uh, I mean, that, yeah, that book talks a lot about about this kind of thing and and hearing God's voice. And um, really quick, just to to give that that context because it reminded me of it is, um, you know, I wanted to watch this show for a long time. Um, and when Renee and I got together, I was like, oh, like I really want to watch it with her. So I'm going to wait and watch it with her. And I just never, for some reason, like got up the guts to be like, do you want to watch the chosen with me? I don't know why. Um, but finally I was talking to a friend on Sunday night and he was like, have you guys talked, like watch the, the chosen? And everybody was like, no, not really. He's like, that is amazing. I'm really, you know, he's always really skeptical and really, um, Mm. harsh on movies. He's a huge movie buff. Um, and he's just like, you know, I, I went in like kind of worried, uh, but it was amazing. It blew my mind, and I, I really loved it. And at that moment, I was like, I got to text Renee and ask her if she'll watch this with me. And so I did, and then the next night is when we watched and it. She and she said then, no. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, fine, I'll watch it myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I texted her, and then the next night we watched it, and then the next morning it was our devotion. So it was like all those, all that time mm. that I really wanted to ask her but didn't, then I finally did, and this uh, happened. So, And I think that kind of stuff just gives us a lot of confidence in God. I think so. That he mm. is here yeah present yeah i was having a conversation with a friend and sharing some stuff with him and he shared something with me that he felt like god was leading him to tell me Mm -hmm. which is just what i needed to hear in that moment yeah Mm -hmm. and so it's just Mm. really interesting how god can just speak to us through others yeah Mm -hmm. i definitely experienced that a lot um my whole life but the last year for sure Mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean it's you know nothing surprises god no Nothing. He's not afraid of anything. So the things that we're afraid of or anxious about, it's like, well, God's not anxious about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that fact helps me a lot. And the fact that God's not surprised by the way things work out um, mm-hmm. is also really encouraging to me. Uh, My advice to anyone who feels like maybe God is asking me to share something with someone, a word of encouragement or just a word in general, I encourage you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst thing that happen. Do it. Um, man, well... Shoot, we don't have time for topic of the week, but I want to do our closing segment. So look forward next week when we'll talk about mentorship. Uh, but for now, good listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's trivia quizzes, and your favorite ships to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, you better believe that it's time for Where in the Bible is Carmen San Diego? Woo! Um, Whoa. Punch the I, microphone. I have eight. Bible verses here, and you gentlemen will be guessing just the book of each one. This is getting lower and lower. This is our, just keep slouching, follow your mic all the way down to the floor. (laughs) Uh, This is our latest attempt to make this game winnable for someone other than Bill Calvin. Uh, What I am not... not, It's not going to work. I'm not optimistic. Here are your pens. Bill, you got the papers if you would uh, dole those out. 
There are jelly beans at stake. There are jelly beans at stake, as always. Steak-flavored um, jelly beans. That's, there's none of those. <laughs> no, could be. There's none of those. This is a Christian church. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so I'm going to read you a verse, and you're going to have to tell me what the uh, book of the Bible that Just it comes the from. book. Just the book. There's eight of them. There's eight. There's eight books in the it, Bible. <laughs> uh, that's correct. What Bible are you reading, Scott? Um, so let's, <laughs> listeners at home, you you're can make your, make your scorecard. <laughs> Uh, you write BSD at the top and then do a little cross underneath and then lines in the middle. And you're going to need to draw eight more lines. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Thank you for playing along, listeners. Uh, let me count that really quick. Three, six. I accidentally made nine. So. What are the B and the S and the D? Uh, Bill, Scott, and Dan. Oh. Oh, like, I have right. to write that. Oh. That's just for the listeners. Uh, that's literally for the listeners. You guys don't have to write it, but thank I you. Just made thank, one you for, eight. thank you, Bill, for playing along. Uh, <laughs> let's get started. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. I read that yesterday. Hi, God. Um, is that too flippant? That's what I say. When stuff like that happens, I go, hi, God. I don't know, as long as you don't say it sassily. Hi, God. Hi, I guess. Leave me alone, <laughs> would you? Um, everybody ready? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Bill. Revelation. Scott. Revelation. I could have actually done the chapter and verse on this one. Ooh, Dan. Revelation 21. Uh, Scott, Scott. 19. Oh, 19. What's the verse? Oh, good. I think it's like okay. 1 to 4. I got overconfident. It's 11 to 13, but that's a Wait. point uh, across the board. What's at the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 19? Um, I don't know. Revelation 21. Oh, it's, oh, like the, poem. it's like There's the poem. There's a poem at the beginning. Uh, all right, moving on. When I Let's kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. These are all in the NIV, of course, uh, as of course. is uh, our custom. <laughs> Um, everybody ready? Yes. Yeah. Dan. Psalms. Scott. I also said Psalms. And Bill. Psalms. Psalms it is. A point around for everybody. That's All right. good. <laughs> Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because sorrow... Because so, your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, right to ruin and the world's uh, ending. I do kind of have a question about, about this verse, but we probably don't have time to, to dive into it. All right. I'm just going to go with my gut, even though my brain has some questions. <laughs> Everybody ready? <laughs> yes. Scott. I said Galatians. And Scott. And Bill. <laughs> Scott. That's Scott. That's Scott. Bill. Second Corinthians. Dan. Second Corinthians. It is Second Corinthians. <sighs> my brain was right and my gut was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. He says, I did regret it, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. And then he says, um, so you were not harmed in any way by this. It's very interesting. Um, okay. I thought they didn't repent in Corinthians. Or was that a different no, thing that they he was did. talking about? That's why he's writing the second. Because there was a or man that was trapped in really bad sexual sin, and, mm -hmm. and they weren't willing to confront him. And then after... 
Yeah, it's a mess. He he didn't repent, but they confronted him. I think him. he Is did. It, yes, he did? then he did. Yeah. Oh, why did I think he didn't? And it's there's definitely a mix. Like there's things that he thanks them for following and through on, and there's that things he... that they're like still like being like, oh, but if it's like this, is that mm-hmm. fine? If it's this, is mm-hmm. that fine? A lot of sexual sins that they're trying to find like okay. white lines around. And he's like, let me make this very clear. <laughs> um, Don't do it. Okay. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're we're going to start to get into the deep cuts here. Uh, Dan. Titus. Scott. Oh, I said Romans. Bill. Titus. Titus it is. Dang. Man, Bill is bored to tears. (laughs) When tempted. (laughs) He's like, give me a real one. If the, if the apocrypha is not in it, he's not going to get anything wrong. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't, don't be <laughs> deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every time. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Uh, Scott, you ready? I am ready. Get it. This is James. This is the first passage I preached on. Bill. Hmm. James. Dan. James. James it is. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, malice, slander, rage, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I have a little bit of conflict on this one. All right. Uh, I'm going for Scott, it. Scott, you ready? Yep. Bill? I put Galatians. Galatians. Uh, Scott? I put Romans. And Dan? Ephesians. It's Colossians. <laughs> oh, I crossed out Colossians. So, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, man. Big I, zero wow. across the board. Look at that. I, wow. I thought the neither slave nor Jew was going to, or the slave nor free. Uh, I should have stuck with my gut. Gentile or Jew. Man. I shouldn't have stuck with my gut on that other one. So. Man. All right. Well, we Just got no two, way to know. two questions no way. to go. So Scott could tie it up if, if you two miss. Go, Scott, go. And the two of you could still uh, pull ahead. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you Mm -hmm. walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Mm -hmm. I think, Bill, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Uh, Dan. (laughs) Isaiah. Scott. Isaiah. Bill? I put Jeremiah. It's Isaiah 43.1 as uh, heard in the first episode of The Chosen. I'm like, the question is, was Max telling us the truth 10 minutes ago? It was all a lie to stop this (laughs) point. Oh, my word. So as we go into our final round, it is Dan uh, 7. It is Dan 6, Scott 4, Bill 5. 
So it is still anyone's game. No, it is still just Dan and Bill's game. Uh, sorry, Scott. Dan has six. You said uh, he has six. Okay, so he's, when you said seven, that was a lie. Six for seven. Yes, okay. the seven was a lie. Okay. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I'm going to want to limb on this one. Hmm. Same. I like this Wait, one. Wait, no, that's not the right one. I think that's, this is not one you'd expect. That's the right one. I can't Actually, say. I think you're thinking it. I can't say. Oh, you, your face is saying it. I can't say. Your face. <laughs> Did somebody say one. John 1 1? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be wrong. Hmm. Uh, everybody ready? Sort of. Scott, kick us off. Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Hmm. Bill. I put Psalms. And Dan. Job. It's Jonah. Jonah. The book of Jonah Langender. Jonah. Which means nobody gets any points, which means that Dan holds on for the victory. And the jelly beans. There's some jelly beans for the listeners to hear. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank Thank you, you, Max. I think we can all agree it was a roaring success. Uh, much closer game than normal. Bill Calvin didn't win. Scott almost didn't get third. Uh, an incredible <laughs> game to be sure. Scott, with your incredible pride at your performance, would you please take us home? Sure. You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois. I almost forgot the Dale. <laughs> Blooming the heart of the nation. <laughs> Blooming onion. Blooming Illinois. The blooming heart of the nation. (laughs) The Dale of the nation. (laughs) Amen. What is it you want to replace the jet ski fund with? (laughs) Oh, uh, camper fund. Camper fund. fund. Camper fund. We visited Bob last week, and they have a new camper and it is nice cool and we went inside of it probably costs more than a jet ski though oh yeah oh yeah that's a stretch goal this is many many (laughs) many many jet skis specific goals are attainable goals um let's do a sound check really quick one two three hello 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 (laughs) flawless Man, I love the Three Stooges. Me too. I watched every episode probably five times. What, what era were they? Like when? I think they filmed in the 40s. Yeah, they must have. Yeah. I, I, I used to watch it on AMC. One time, there was this beautiful woman on their show, and I looked at her, and I thought, man, it looks like Lucille Ball. So I watched the credits. It was. Oh. It was like the first thing she'd ever done with filming, you know, or one of the first. That's funny. Yeah, really old, old movie. And they always had like the it. same actors, too, that would be have yeah. kind of take these parts on of yeah. different people, huh. either bad guys or good guys. Was this a, was this a silent show? No. no they, was, they talked. They talked. They talked. They just mostly hit each other. Who yeah, it's a lot of slapstick comedy. What were their names again? Larry Curly and Mo. Mo Howard, Curly Howard, Larry Fine. Yeah. Well, Larry's not related and, to Curly and, and Mo. Shemp. Shemp. That's Shemp right. Howard also. It was when Curly went, went away and Shemp came, right? Yeah. 
Shemp wasn't as good as Curly. No, man, Curly, Curly was the best. <laughs> yeah, as a kid watching it, they'd show who's on the show, and when I saw Shemp's picture, I'd be like, ah, oh, nuts. <laughs> but Larry had curly hair, but he wasn't curly. It was Larry. Yeah. Curly, and curly had, like, had no hair. Curly was bald. <laughs> just stubble. Super crew cut. <laughs> man. That's awesome. You've never watched this. I've never seen the thrust oh. They're like 15 minutes long. You got to watch the one of, uh, or it's called Order in the Court. That's one of my all time favorites. Yeah, I can't remember the titles of any of them. I only know because I, I had the DVD of it at one point. Oh, okay. wow. Now I don't because there's DVDs. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I still have some. I have some in my house right now. But who, I don't care. Like, I don't carry them around everywhere. Like, well, that's true. Yeah. If I had it on my phone, not I like my phone. <laughs> my daughter loves them because they're she likes really? she likes slapstick. She okay. was dying. Yeah, I bet she was liking the slapstick. I bet she likes slapstick. But this one, they're in court for this lady, and then the judge, the hijinks with the stooges and the judge, like, take off your hat, raise your right hand, and they're just going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of crazy. cakes and pies and oh man, food fights. Mm -hmm. It's great.